All right, welcome and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Jane Irrigation Training Series. I'm your host, Richard Restucia, and today we're going to be talking about greenhouse and nursery emission devices. And I can tell you why we are talking about that as I visit nurseries, as I visit greenhouses, and as I look in the catalog. One thing I certainly can see is that there are a lot of different ways to irrigate a pot. And uh, I know that these uh, different ways all have reasons and, uh, and, 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 and good uh, ideas of why you would do them one way or another. But I think for somebody just in general looking at this or trying to figure out, uh, oftentimes I might just go with what they've done in the past or what they've seen in the past. But there is a lot of variety in how you can do this. And so, uh, you know, I was talking to Michael Pippen about this. And uh, Michael said, you know, this would be a great webinar to do. Uh, and as you know, Michael Pippen, um, very, very good at providing these trainings. Uh, Michael, uh, one thing that's very unique about Michael, I think uh, a couple things is one, he grew up in agriculture. You know, a lot of times we have people talking about things in a, a theoretical sense. Uh, Michael's lived uh, the lifestyle. He knows what that's like. He's worked for distributors, dealers, and, uh, and uh, now a manufacturer. He's our Director of Business Development at Jane and brings a ton of experience and knowledge to our webinars and more importantly to our customers. So uh, Michael, uh, welcome and, and thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I appreciate that, Richard. And I think you're exactly right. You start looking at some of these product groupings and there is a little bit of decision fatigue, right? We're, we're, we're in that stage of uh, technology where, you know, if you're talking about entertainment or food or nursery, greenhouse irrigation, there's a lot of stuff out there. And so, you know, hopefully today we'll, we'll try to, you know, unpack what our preferences, because preferences are important. Um, but, you know, beyond preferences, what, what are kind of the criteria or characteristics that I would say uh, primarily drive those uh, decisions? And then, you know, then we can talk about preferences and ones that we just think do better for our specific applications. So, yeah, that, that's kind of where we're going to spend our time today. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? As I go around to nursery to nursery, of course, <laughs> I don't look at the plants first. I look at the irrigation, right? That's where my eye goes. And I'm always uh, surprised at the variety of ways that people are doing this. But then again, I just look at our uh, catalog and I see the variety of, uh, uh, um, of products we have to offer in this area. And I think, okay, this, this makes sense. And that's why I'm excited to uh, go through this with you today. But before we do that, I just want to ask you one question. Do you see many nurseries or greenhouses that are hand watering, that aren't using automated irrigation or uh, pressurized irrigation at all? Um, you do see it, but it's primarily in kind of a retrofit application that may not uh, may not be performing the way that it was intentionally designed. So, so what I would mean by that is there, you might have an area that's not getting adequately water because you've got a short contract and you've got these, you know, these different size containers or there's different crop that the system really wasn't designed to. You're trying to get something, you know, specific, a, kind of a one-off, if you will, of your typical applications. And there might be some hot spots where the water's not covering. Um, it's, it's generally not by design. I would say that there's very few that I see out there that are that are irrigating by design. You'll even see systems that you know have both containers uh, on the ground in the greenhouse and hanging from the structures, 
and even those would even would essentially have two irrigation systems to manage those separately and not have somebody in their hand watering. Um, I think that there's a lot that goes into that hand watering. One is just you got to pay somebody to do that, and that's not you know usually a good steward of your money, but also you know trying to not just apply the right amount of water uh, manually. But also in the same way, you know, applying that if you decided, you know, knowing you just need one, one gallon is one thing, but then to apply that one gallon evenly to more than uh, two or three pots just just wouldn't be feasible. So so it's not really a practical way of doing it, um, but you will see a little bit of fill in that to, to hit problem areas. Um, and, and, but I see most of that is because of a retrofit application for, uh, you know, that, that wasn't quite designed for that originally. Yeah, I think about that too, you know, I'll count to three, one, two, three, and then go to the next pot. And I could just see myself after about five pots saying, hmm, did I water that last one or not? Or, you know, <laughs> which direction was I going? And uh, I could see a lot of stuff's going to get double watered and some's not going to get it at all. Uh, and then the other thing that is so important for the uh, nursery people and the greenhouse people, uh, cost-wise, uh, it's not cost prohibitive to, uh, to do this. Yeah, I mean, um, there, there, there's going to be material costs in any kind of irrigation system. So if you said, uh, well, the option is to invest in the irrigation system or not irrigate at all, uh, then obviously there's going to be a cost, you know, there's a cost differential in there. But, but if you said, I'm going to try to irrigate it manually versus try to get a irrigation system, regardless of which one you said, I think that it, it you know, that definitely when you start uh, trying to, you know, talk about even water and, and plant and, and in a nursery application, you know, you can't have half your crop blooming and the other half not, right? So maturity stability is extremely important, even more so than a lot of our field applications. So yeah, it's just really not feasible in any kind of commercial scale to irrigate manually in any of the operations that I've been around. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, look, I'm really excited to get into your deck here. Yeah, well, great. So, so I always say, you know, you've got what, what do we, let's talk about the things that we prefer versus the things that really are driving the decision. And in a, in a container or nursery greenhouse, I'm going to kind of use these terms uh, interchangeably. I, I think there's really probably two things that really drive the decision primarily. One is the size of the container that you're going to have your plant in. And number two is kind of the soil or media characteristics. And I use those terms because we sometimes use soil. Sometimes we use a combination of different types of media, soil, gravel, perlite. I mean, I would say more often than not, we're using some sort of media mix rather than a pure soil. So, so quite different than what we're doing out in the field. And really, so what are those things, um, you know, wh why do those two things drive the decisions? I think there's a couple of things. Um, I would say the primarily in these, these plants that are in a container, most likely this is not their long term or where they're going to spend their life right they're in this container for a period of time and then they're going to be taken and either putting in a larger container or going and putting a, a permanent you know even if it's uh you know a citrus tree that would go out in the field and agriculture said that's where it's going to be eventually or if you've got a a ornamental that's going to go in your your uh, flower bed so they have you know this is not their final destination um, so you've got a very limited time to grow a pretty developed and mature root structure. The container and the soil cost money, so we're always trying to use the smallest one possible. So it's very important that we get that, that soil, that, that media, that whole container watered evenly, side to side, top to bottom, 
as, as efficiently as we can. And so obviously if you have a large container, you're gonna to need to cover that surface area more evenly. That would not be a huge consideration in a tree that's planted in the ground. Um, it's not as big a consideration because you have other environmental things impacting it where that container it's, you know, that's it, right? The water you're putting there is essentially all it's getting and under house, that is all it's getting. So um, you've gotta be very precise on how you water that surface area. So the size of the container, we don't all, in the media, we don't always have the opportunity to move that water laterally across the, the profile. And that's where you kind of get into that second step. If you're using a large container, but you have some soil media that's a little bit tighter then that may be easier. Um, and, but if you're having a gravel, you know, that's going to definitely change the type of device you need to consider. And so really this container size and the soil media, uh, those are things we're going to talk about and make our decisions based on. But we're really talking about, you know, how big of a pattern we need to irrigate. If you want to think of it like in surface area, how much of that surface area do we need to irrigate? And, and how long the, will the water need to stay in this container? Does it, is it gonna fall straight through it and we're gonna do this often or is it gonna hang out for a while? You know, so that will help us kind of describe our, the pattern we're looking for and you know, kind of how much water and how fast we're gonna put it out. Yeah, it's really interesting. That's one thing I notice quite often is how fast these nursery containers drain. And uh, it seems like that's the yeah. goal of the nursery uh, growers is to get the water in, but also uh, not uh, not pool it. Is that correct? That That's right. So, I mean, you look at the container and here's kind of just some, I think this is actually from a, a, a bamboo nursery. I kind of like their graphics, but it kind of showed, you know, the size containers and the range that you're dealing with in a plant that gets really small all the way to very big, right? You can get little bamboo things that you sit in your windowsill, right? And these little bitty containers are, you can get them there literally like 50 foot tall. Now, I don't know why you'd wanna buy uh, necessarily a 25 foot tall bamboo in a 30 gallon container, but you could if you wanted to. So I like this graphic because it shows you the range that even one nursery might be operating in, right? And so same crop, different container, potentially could need a different emission device. You would not necessarily see this in the field, right? If you got a peach tree or a blueberry, it's gonna kind of have the same thing its entire life where you would not necessarily do that in the container. So I thought this kind of drove that point home to where you see this container size, you know, how it can drastically affect um, how, how, you know, how much of that surface area you, you really need to cover. And, and a lot of times um, when we're talking about kind of this media or this soil characteristics, they, they do not want the water to stay in there very much, right? We're, we're essentially um, growing um, uh, if you want it, not hydroponically, but uh, aeroponically, right? The structure in a lot of these, um, the soil structure in a lot of these containers, they're essentially just holding the plant up. And especially to get in these indoor growing facilities, which is mm -hmm. something that we talk about a lot and we're learning about and we don't really know, we don't know what we don't know yet. We're still trying to figure out how to irrigate these large indoor growing facilities properly, whether it's vegetables or cannabis. Um, I've seen some cannabis operations that basically were where the plant was sitting in gravel, it had no nutritional value, it had no, you know, really holding capacity, um, the water was doing everything. And so they would irrigate these, um, these cannabis plants, and the water held the nutrients, just like a hydroponic, it drained right through, they captured it all and collected it back and ran it back through the cycle. And so that soil characteristic, you know, to try to get a root structure develop properly when you're essentially growing in gravel uh, is challenging, right? But it offers some advantages over a true hydroponic system. So there's some of these things that we're just now learning where if you went to, you know, maybe a, a more traditional container, like if you're growing a rootstock of a, you know, of a tree of some sort, you'd see something that had 
more similar uh, to a uh, to soil characteristics like a, a pecan or a, I, I don't I don't do much work on the west coast, but I'm assuming a lot of the nut crops are the same where you have a tree that's growing fairly large, but the media or the container is grown in is very sim similar structurally to what you do out in the field because we're going to take that plant drill a hole and drop it in the field we don't want to have a lot of characteristics differences between that type of container and other so it's going to irrigate very similar to what you do out in the field so again a lot of variability there depending on the size of the container and the soil media that you're using so again um just establishing what type of uh, uh soil media you have is going to help you click off your first step of uh what emission device to uh to grab that's correct. And, I, and I've kind of used some some generic terms here because I think a lot of, you know, I, I, you go to these nurseries and it's a little bit of a, uh, you know, it's like going into a restaurant and, and asking the cook for the recipe, right? You, you might get the general gist of what they're putting in there, but they might not tell you all the little secrets, right? Because that's their business is the kind of proprietary knowledge. And so you get this with some of these nurseries and a lot of them, right? They're you're like, why do your trees look better? You know, what kind of soil meter? Oh, yeah, I'll put a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> wrinkle this on top you know they don't want to tell you everything and i totally respect that so you know it's very hard to describe a, a soil media in a container like you would in the field right that we kind of have these terms established and you know these charts and the pies that have sand and silts and like you're not going to get that in a nursery you're going to get you know his concoction uh that works great for his nursery at his size and his you know his buyers and so i've kind of used these very generic terms of a tight media or a loose media which really on the tight side i'd need something that's more similar to like uh soil you would find out in the field it's going to have some clay properties it's going to have some silt properties it's going to have some sand properties it's going to react more like what uh, uh something we planted in the ground would act like a loose media would be kind of on the other end like we described with that cannabis application where they're basically growing aeroponically the structure is holding the plant in place and helping that root system kind of spread out, but it's really not providing very much nutritional value at all. It's just kind of there. Yeah. Um, and then the large and the small container, obviously those are very, um, you know, there's not an established of what causes, you know, it's called a large versus a small container, but I think you'll see, you know, some of the examples try to, you know, pull that out. There is no clear definition of where you change from a small to a large container, but I'll try to kind of tell you where my opinion is that where that change is at. So these really are the decisions. So when you go back to your question about the media, a lot of times it is like, okay, go take a gallon of water and pour it through your media. And how, how fast does it drain out, right? When does that soil get dry again, you know, and um, when does it need irrigating again? And your, your um, you know, your growers will be able to give you that information. And we have, you know, equipment that can help do that as well. But, you know, you can kind of weigh those things and, and you really get really precise. But a lot of it is take a gallon of water or whatever, a known amount, pour it in there. And let's see how long it takes it to drain out and what percentage of that does is the large percentage of small or, or you know, a, uh, a small percentage of that water is, is drained through. Yeah. So I think the easiest one, we always want to start with the easiest. And I use that term loosely. Um, I'd say probably the most forgiving maybe um, is a smaller container uh, with a relatively tight or traditional soil type. A lot of things will work in that. It's kind of like planting a small plant out in, you know, in the soil in your, you know, landscape or in your agriculture setting. Small plant, you know, native soils. You can use a lot of different things. I kind of start here with the most simplest. You can you can see this diagram here where you've got these containers 
and they're stretching a poly tube across the top and most likely just punching a dripper right in on that container. That's a very effective way to irrigate um, a container nursery where you're not moving containers in and out a lot. I will pause briefly to say that some of these decisions will be driven by how long you know, some of your cultural practices, how long these plants are going to be in place and, you know, what's kind of the rotation and do you do different things? We're going to kind of stay away from that conversation because that is very site specific. If you have a question specific application, please ask it. We'll, we'll try to address it. But, you know, for this conversation, we're going to kind of say this is what we're doing for a, a pretty, pretty lengthy period of time. So you could put tubing, you could punch in a dripper, it could drip right down in that container. That'd be a super effective way of, of irrigating a container nursery that those containers didn't come in and out a whole lot. Uh, you don't have a lot of extra tubing, you don't have the stakes, it's kind of down and dirty quick and fast. Um, but a lot of times we are moving those containers in and out a lot, right? You like the drip, the water side is no, no, no problem, but you're looking for a little bit more efficient way of moving those containers in and out. And you'll see here in a small container, quote unquote small container, you've got the same dripper here, we'd put a piece of tubing on it and run it over there and stick that stake into that container. You're not changing really the way that that water is applied any, but you're giving yourself a little bit about flexibility about placement. Uh, logistically, it works a little bit differently. I don't know that that's better or worse. Uh, there is more material out there, so that could probably cost a little bit more money, but you could keep the tubing on the ground or you could hang it from a trellis or you could do a variety of things there. You can really get that stake dialed in and placed just exactly where you want it to have the tubing move, you know, expanded and contracted down the row, it, it wouldn't move, the stake would stay in place. So there's some advantages to that. Um, but, you know, again, a little bit costly side to put a specific dripper into one container. So some people will take a larger dripper, put a four-way splitter on top of that, or a two-way, we offer this in two ways or four ways, and we can run these stakes over and we can put a stake in two containers. So instead of buying four emitters, you've bought one emitter, which is nice right that saves you a little bit of money and so uh that's a very effective way and and we're four is good eight is even better we offer an octobubbler it comes up and it has eight outlets on there that are equally pressure compensating so very popular product especially in indoor growing where we want to be super super precise like that cannabis gravel um, example i gave you know you can get a little bit of variability in these stake outlets we do our best there and have some some things in place to keep the, the drips equal on these four outlets as much as we can. But this Octobubber has an individual regulating device. So, you know, you can just look at it and say, well, this Octobubber looks a little bit more expensive than that four-way. Well, well, it is, but it's also giving you eight outlets, twice as many outlets, giving you the exact amount of water out of each one of them. So it is, again, a little bit different, a little bit different application. Um, and then we also just kind of have a trickle stake here, which is a little bit of everything. Uh, we got our first... Have, uh, We've got our first question coming in, and uh, okay. it has to do yeah. with it has to do with the four-way dripper there, uh, top left-hand corner. Um, the uh, uh, so if that's a two-gallon per hour emitter, each one of those stakes is getting uh, a half gallon. Very close to that. Yeah. Um, they the stakes that we use in these four-way assemblies is slightly different than what we use in a one-way assembly. So on a one-way assembly, you got two gallons an hour, water comes out of the tube and goes to this stake, and all that stake has is a little barb that holds it in place and the water drips down. It's not doing anything but kind of holding the tubing. And there's a couple of stakes that we offer in that, but 
that steak really isn't doing anything. This steak does something. It has a labyrinth that, that sticks up in yeah. that tubing that gives us a little bit of resistance. It is not necessarily what's regulating the flow. The dripper is doing that. But that little bit of labyrinth that gives a little bit of resistance balances out a little bit of elevation difference, a little bit of minor losses through all the snaking of the tubing, and does a pretty nice job of making it even. It, it will not always be even on every one of every one of them. Water is a dynamic force, and just like if you had a, you know, water going in one pipe and you put a T, does the equal amount go in each one of them? Very close but not always exact. And that's how I describe this. I'd say for most applications, it's definitely close enough. Um, but if you do not use that little labyrinth stake, you definitely can have some variability in your containers. So we use the labyrinth stake on the two-way and four-way outlets. On the single outlet, we just have a little barbed one because it doesn't clog quite as bad. So Yeah. Well, great. Uh, thank you for clearing that up. And, and thanks for the great question. I want to remind everybody, we do have the Q&A open. If you want to ask uh, Mike any questions, drop them in there. I'll be sure he gets them. If you have some comments, I've got the chat open as well. So, okay, I interrupted when you were saying trickle steak. No, that's great. I'd say kind of the, the other, I uh, kind of skipped over the trickle steak. This little steak here uh, doesn't even have any emitter, right? We just stick the tube in the, in the, in the, um, the main line, if you will, lateral line, and has just a spaghetti tube that runs up there and a the little trickle steak just holds it in place. So it's a very low cost application. Uh, maybe some dirty water, maybe a, a plant that's uh, you know, super low margin. Um, you're only going to grow up for a short period of time in and out, but you need something to hold that tubing in place. So this does a pretty good job of doing that. So again, you would not necessarily want to do this on a large container, right? Because you can see some of the limitations in a, in a product like this, this trickle steak, but you can use your imagination. So that's a relatively inexpensive product compared to the octobubbler with giving you the exact amount of water on eight outlets. So you've got this huge range, exact amount of water, every container, eight containers at one time, or little spaghetti tubing, inexpensive, not the greatest uniformity, but low cost, fast, very clog resistant. So a lot of products, a lot of applications there. The other, other quadrants, if you will, will move along a little quicker because you're going to see a lot of these products move to different regions or show up in different regions. And that's, that's okay, right? A lot of these products can work in a lot of these different applications. Some would not necessarily work as well, but you'll again see in a small container, but a relatively loose media, you see these two products show back up. You're like, okay, well, what's the story with that? Well, Again, if you have a very small container, let's say a one gallon pot, that's very small, you know, that big around. Um, one emission device is still probably okay for that, even in a loose medium. Um, if you had a small, slightly larger container, like a three or maybe even a four or five, a three or five gallon, probably limiting it about seven gallons, somewhere in there, this medium size, a lot of people will put two stakes in that singular pot. They uh -huh. want the features of the drip, but they need to get a larger wetting pattern. Um, again, the, the, the extreme case would be the cannabis, right? Where they've got a, a growing the plant, like maybe a hemp or something like that. The plant's larger, the container's bigger, but we're doing super precise um, chemigation um, and fertigation into that system. So they want the drip features, but they need a little bit better, better wetting pattern. So you can take these multiple outlets, put a couple of them in one container, still relatively efficient and effective price-wise compared to putting an individual drip on every, you know, multiple drippers on uh, on one pot. You use the four-way or the octobubbler. 
Um, so it's a great way to do a smaller container with a looser media. And then also see you start seeing some of these small spray stakes show up, right? Spray sticks, spray stakes, they're, they're the same thing depending on what we call ours uh, spray sticks. So we use them both. Um, uh, but they would, something with a small pattern, uh, doesn't throw water very far, uh, but would work a little bit more effective with a looser media on a smaller container. Um, you have to worry a little bit about overspray in this kind of application. You've got a small little pot. It's hard to get all that water in these little sprays, but some of them have a down pattern. Some of them have a 90 degrees, some are 180. So there's some variability there, but you're going to need something that kind of sprays down like these these uh, chafing spray sticks do uh, at relatively low flow rates, right? You loose media, uh, you're like, oh, well, I want the water pattern to be big, but you don't want to push a bunch of water. It's just going to fall through, especially if you have some sort of media that's providing some nutrition. Wouldn't be a great thing right there. So you can start seeing some of these spray sticks show up in these smaller containers with a looser media. Yeah, it's interesting. I really like the idea too of putting two stakes in one pot, right? Uh, otherwise, uh, you, you know, maybe you're trying to snake something around the perimeter of your pot, and the labor on that's unreal. Uh, not to mention when you have to switch it out, it's it's pretty difficult. So this uh, this definitely that's solves right. that problem. If it was a permanent application, then not that big of a deal, right? You can do whatever, but these are not permanent, right? We're going to make these, we're going to take these, and we're going to do something else with them, right? The goal of the nursery is not to grow a tree in there forever. It's to grow it to where it's a marketable size and get it out of there and get yeah. something else in quickly. And so, yeah, the double the double stake one assembly does work nice for that. Um, and again, you're going to see basically the same product show up again. Uh, with these multi-outlets can be very versatile in a large container. Same thing. So we got a tight media. So a little the, the media is going to disperse the water a little bit more evenly, a little bit easier. Evenly might not be the best word, but move laterally more easily. Um, but we need the water. We need more water. We got a bigger plant. So putting one stake is not going to work. Take the octobubbler, put two on there. Take this four-way. Uh, sometimes we'll even have different lengths on these four-way assemblies, a short one and a long one. So you can do on each, you know, front and back of the pot, if you will, you don't have to get them all the same. And then you definitely would start seeing these spray stakes or spray sticks show up. Uh, flow rate is higher, pattern is larger. You're going to sacrifice a little bit of uniformity in most applications because we typically don't use these in a pressure compensating application. So the pressure will vary a little bit on there, but they're not a really, really high flow rate. You know, we've got things that are three, five and seven gallons an hour. Um, it's kind of some in-betweens there, a little bit different patterns. So you've got a lot of variability, a lot of options to stick. But if you're looking at something that's just from a watering standpoint, let's say you're not doing a lot of fertigation. Let's say you're putting some, your nutrients in a slow release fertilizer in the soil media or something like that. That would be, would be a common practice in a lot of, a lot of nurseries. They put, they put uh, the soil media and some additives. Uh, slow release fertilizers are really going to drive the majority of the, the nutrient program. So we're just water. So these sticks are relatively inexpensive. You might could use one of them versus having to use two of the drippers, right? So there's some, some costing things there and they'll cover a much larger area and um, surface area and provide a little bit more water. And so all those things can be really advantageous. You'll see these sticks a lot like um, um, with a large, um, you know, I see them like in the home developments, right? People build a new home and they don't want to wait 10 years for their oak tree, their red oak to grow, right? So they go buy a, an oak tree that's got, you know, six inch caliper. Well, that's a big root ball. And you'll see sometimes having these sticks in those type of applications where they're going to 
put on some water. This, the tree is essentially sitting in soil, right? It's not really, I mean, there's a media mix, but they're going to pick that whole tree up, pick it up and drop it in in front of your yard. So there's not going to be a lot of structural differences there. So it's going to hold water pretty well. It's going to capillary action work pretty well. Put a couple of these spray sticks in there, cover the whole thing. You can water it for a few minutes and be done with it. So that's a really, really good application for a large container uh, with a relatively tight uh, media. So, uh, Michael, we have another question coming in on this about these uh, the spray pattern. Will it tell you mm -hmm. this is the uh, spray stick to use for a five-gallon pot, or will it say, you know, the spray is six inches, 12 inches? How, how do they do that? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 most of the time, the, the recommendation is made by the container size. That's relative the container size in the nursery industry. There's a little bit of variability, but they're basically all the same. You know, you get a it's same thing if you get a 72 count tray or 96 count tray they're, they're all there will be some slight variations but they're essentially the same so when we know what a three gallon container essentially is the size of you can get some variability but essentially we know so you will see a lot of these stakes sized that way because we know the dimension of the container but ultimately there's a flow rate and a pattern associated you know depth of the pattern angle of that pattern up down there are characteristics there that are defined um, but yeah, you'll see a lot of the, you know, like a, the lower flow, like three gallon an hour pot, uh, spray stakes, you'll see them, you know, three, five, maybe a seven. When you start getting into that, you know, five to seven to 10 gallon, you'll see people using like a five, seven, maybe 12 or 13 gallon hour spray sticks and they go up pretty high. So you yeah. get a pretty, pretty good range there. And of course, the higher the flow rate, higher the pressure, the little bit bigger pattern you get. Right. And yeah, and I think too, right. I think about the diameter of the pots. They don't really get that yeah. much bigger or they get deeper, but they don't get wider. Right. Yeah. Right, right. There's, there's not, as far as dimensionally, there's not that much difference between a three and a five gallon pot, yeah. you know, from a 15 to a 30, that's a good bit difference, but you know, these small, especially these more common that we're, we're looking at the smaller containers, 10 gallons and less, uh, they're the dimensionally, they're not that much different. Right. So kind of the last one here, um, we're showing the full range of colors and options here in our spray sticks. Because we've got a large container with a loose media, that means some of the higher flow rates are not going to cause us a problem with ponding and water washing all of our nutrients out, right? We might want this higher flow rate. So I'm showing a full range of, of, um, of spray sticks here. Um, I'm also, again, showing the multi-outlet dripper. Um, I think it really is probably the tool that would work in almost every application. I dropped off the octobubbler here because when you see these large containers and loose media, you know, you're probably not going to use the octobubbler. It's probably not going to be inside of a greenhouse at this point. It's probably going to be out in the field in a nursery. And in that case, it's a, the octobubblers are a great product to use, but also a little bit more expensive to get hit with a piece of equipment. You've got a little bit more rigidity to it. So you would not see the octobubblers quite as much outside. If you had an indoor um, application, um, you know, you, that had a really large container you're moving stuff in and out of not too frequently, then the octobubbler can make sense there. But I kind of drew the line and said, let's, let's leave him and uh, away from this large container, loose media. Let's look at some of these multi outlets and the spray sticks there. I think that is probably the, the most common that you would see in this type of application would be like a spray stick to give you a higher flow rate and a, um, a um, larger wetting pattern, not so much worried about the water overspray because the container is gonna be large enough to handle that. And so I kind of say that that's really, you see kind of the breadth of product there, a lot of it overlapping, um, a lot of it driven uh, by the container size, but also kind of this media, you know, what, it, what uh, the drip 
uh, will be a little bit more challenging in a loose media. You're most likely going to have to look at multiple drippers in one container unless you have a small container. And that's not a bad thing. It can be a very effective way of doing it. But, you know, you know a 30-gallon container is going to be hard to irrigate with one half-gallon per hour dripper at, uniformly. Uh, on the other side of that, if you've got a, a smaller container and you're doing a pretty intensive fertigation program, it's going to be kind of hard to, uh, to get the level of accuracy and efficiency that you're looking for out of a, a spray stick. So, and there's always the economic and the, uh, you know, and the marketability side of your nursery. You know, how fast are you moving these plants in and out? How, how long are you keeping them there? Are you changing stuff? Are you growing mums all year long? Or do you grow mums half the time and then you do poinsettias? So a lot of these decisions will drive you know, um, you know, kind of come into the preferences side is what I would say then, you know, which, which one uh, we might be irrigating and fertigating perfectly adequately, but this four-way assembly just doesn't really work for my application that I'm having to move these containers in and out of all the time. Maybe a single outlet works really nicely um, because I have to move these containers in and out four times a year. So, so that's when you start getting into the preferences of, of what really functions well for your specific application. All right, and with the, uh, with the four-way assembly, yeah. if you can put that uh, uh, back up one more time, I'm sorry. Uh, we're basically sure. looking at, uh, you, you need supply tubing, you need your uh, emitter, then you need your four-way assembly. Sometimes they come with tubing, sometimes without, right? And sometimes with a stake and sometimes without. So you have to just be sure you cover all your bases. That, that's right. But even, e and I would say that maybe some dealers do it that way. Um, like if you're an end user, a, a nursery a grower, and you go to your local irrigation distributor, he may do that, right? They may be, um, you're buying and selling drippers and four ways and tubing and stakes. But I would also say you probably want to leverage our assembly uh, capabilities at, at Jane, where you can order those however you want to, right? You can order them with the dripper and a four way and the tubing links and the stakes already put on there for you. Uh, which is really nice. Um, the tubing is not a terribly expensive piece of that entire assembly. So a lot of people will order it a little bit long. That way, if it gets dinged or cut or something like that, they can cut it back and put their stake back on. And, you know, they really haven't lost anything. You know, that those uh, labyrinth stakes are going to help balance out that water. So if the, the tubing is a little bit different length, it's not going to greatly affect your watering efficiency or effectiveness. So um, I would say order those things assembled unless you just don't know what, what size you're going to mess with, because that's a really effective way uh, of getting all that done is just order 24, 36, 48, um, or a combination. You can do any combination that you want. We assemble those in Fresno. Yeah. I love that you can order those assembled, right? I can get to uh, growing right away instead of putting stuff together. That's right. That's exactly right. It's just really a time concept, but you can buy components. Um, and it would be not uncommon to have, you know, those as spare parts, but a new design system. Uh, let's buy those assembled and save that time. Yeah. So, Michael, uh, if uh, people have additional questions for you, want to want to pick your brain some more, how can they do that? Uh, there's my email and my phone number. Uh, you can reach out to me directly. If I don't know the answer, we have um, here at Jane, we have, uh, you know, a guy that, uh, you know, spends a lot of time in the cannabis indoor growing uh, uh, market, kind of one of the primary jobs he has. So he has a lot of experience, has seen a lot of different things in a, a new and emerging market. It's kind of hard to keep up with. So he's got an, I've got an extra set of eyes on that. We also have a greenhouse product manager uh, that can help us get technical information. And he's spent a lot of time in the industry. So he's seen a lot of stuff. So we have some, some, some support staff uh, well beyond me and what I've seen. So if you're outside the area, 
that I've you know typically worked, kind of the central and eastern regions. Uh, don't worry, we've got people on staff that can help support us in the, whatever region or whatever crop you're growing as well. Yeah, and you'll get them hooked up or directed in the right direction and uh, make those introductions if you need to. For sure, for sure. And also on our website has a good, a lot of information in a greenhouse landscape tab that has, you know, a lot of our brochures, cannabis stuff and, you know, octobubbler cut sheets and dripper cut sheets and all that kind of stuff. So you can find a lot of it on the resource page. Yeah. Well, wow, Michael, again, uh, you did not disappoint. You always bring extra knowledge to these conversations. Uh, sometimes we get the questions and I think, uh, well, how much more can we learn about this? But I always learn something extra every time you're on. So thanks very much. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and experience with, uh, with me and everybody else that's watching today. Uh, we, we really appreciate that. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And yeah, I look forward to uh, anybody that wants to reach out and talk about the topic some more. Yeah, and please, that's a generous offer. There's a lot of knowledge here with Michael. So please reach out and uh, contact him uh, for all your questions uh, and really anything drip irrigation wise. Um, also, you can take a look at the rest of our trainings, over 200 now at the janesusa.com website forward slash trainings or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You know, I love that people are out working, listening to our podcast, educating themselves about water conservation and sustainability. Um, it's just, um, it's uh, inspiring to know that people are doing that. So anyway, thanks all of you who watched and participated. And uh, Michael, thanks again for uh, joining us today. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Talk to you soon. We'll be back on Friday. We're going to be talking about climate change and what climate change is doing to uh, your irrigation scheduling. So thanks again. We'll see you guys back here on Friday. Bye now.